Welcome back to the You Are Love podcast. I am Pastor Neil, and we are exploring the greatest power in the universe, the love of God. And this is episode number 28, Ransom for Many. Martin Luther King is acknowledged as the most significant leader of the American Civil Rights Movement. In the face of abuse, intimidation, and violence, he provided moral leadership through his stirring speeches and bold campaigns. He refused the path of violence. A good man shot and killed in Memphis, Tennessee. Abraham Lincoln is acknowledged as one of the greatest U.S. presidents. In 1860, he was elected president. For for four years, Lincoln led his country through the Civil War. In 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation came into effect, declaring all slaves free throughout the United States. A good man shot dead at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C. Mahatma Gandhi is acknowledged as India's greatest founding father. He gave moral and political leadership in the fight against British rule in India. He refused to use violence. He longed to bring about an independent and united India, where people of different religions were able to live in peace. A good man shot and killed in New Delhi, India. Jesus Christ is widely acknowledged as the most outstanding moral teacher in human history. Born in a very humble circumstance, he lived a simple and basic lifestyle. He taught people to love God and to love neighbors. He challenged the corruption and hypocrisy of the national leadership. He refused the pathway of violence. In the spring of AD 30, just outside Jerusalem, Jesus Christ was crucified by Roman authorities. For Lincoln, Gandhi, and King, a violent death was hardly in their plan. Death was a tragic and widely mourned ending to their heroic careers. The most their deaths could achieve was to inspire their followers to carry on the cause of their fallen leader. But was the death of Jesus like that? Many people think so. Some think that Jesus' death was simply the result of the risk he took. He pushed the authorities one step too far, provoked them one time too often until their patience finally ran out. Then after he was gone, his followers refusing to give up his cause, carried on his work, expanded on his teachings, followed his shining example, and built up his movement, movement until it became the worldwide church we know today. His death was an inspiration, and Jesus is placed in the pantheon of the great along with men like Gandhi, King, and Lincoln. But his death was the end, and it has no more power to achieve anything else. That is what so many think of Jesus. But the facts say otherwise. In Mark chapter 10 verses 32 through 52, Jesus speaks about his own leadership. He speaks of what it will really mean for him to be a great leader and it's startling 
In the cases of Lincoln, Gandhi, and King, you could never say that their death was an expression of their leadership. The most you could say is that they knew the risks they were taking, and they bravely accepted those risks. But the idea that their leadership was supremely focused in their deaths would be ridiculous. Yet that is precisely what Jesus says about himself. For Jesus, his leadership is supremely expressed in his own deliberate, violent death. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus is on his way. His his face is fixed on Jerusalem. He is about to show us what his leadership really is. And for the third time, Jesus tells his disciples very directly what awaits him. I'm going to Jerusalem to die. The first of these passion predictions came in Mark 8:31. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. The second time he predicts this is Mark 9, verse 31. And this is all part of Mark's prominent theme of setting out what it means for Jesus to be the Christ, the promised Messiah. Now the third prediction is the clearest and most detailed of all. And there's two new elements in what Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verses 33 and 34. He explains the detail of the hideous treatment he will receive. This death will not simply be a clinical judicial execution. It will be accompanied by vicious verbal and physical abuse. And they will mock him, spit on him, beat him and kill him. And he will rise after three days. Mark chapter 10 verse 34. Jesus will suffer agonizing pain and humiliation. Now the second new element is really more shocking still. His condemnation will begin with the Jewish religious leaders, but they will then hand him over to the Gentiles. In other words, the Roman authorities. And it is they who will both abuse and execute him. The Jewish Messiah, the hoped for, longed for, prayed for Savior, is to be handed over to their oppressors, the very people who are crushing them, the same people who they need to be saved from. And all this is in Jerusalem, their ancient and beloved capital city, the place where kings are enthroned, is the place where the Messiah declares he is now going to die horribly and at the enemy's hands. Jesus' death an unfortunate accident, the result of one risk too many. Whatever else it means, Jesus' death is something he goes to face quite deliberately, quite by his own choosing. He goes, knowing full well the horror which awaits him. That brings us to the climax, Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 45. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Mark 10.45 is the clearest, most precise expression of the meaning of Jesus' death. 
the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He has clearly explained what lies ahead of him. He has made it crystal clear that the Savior King is going deliberately to his death. But now he spells out just what it will mean. Far from being an accident or a mistake, he says that his mission is exactly this. To lay his life down, to be a ransom. He came to die. He says his death means a ransom. A ransom is what is paid to get a hostage or a prisoner set free. The ransom is a direct one-for-one substitution. Mark 10.45 is one of the few texts in the Gospels which provides explicit support for the element of substitution in the atonement. To give his life a ransom for many. The word translated for means in the place of, underscoring the substitutionary nature of Christ's sacrifice. A ransom is a price paid to redeem a a slave or a prisoner. This ransom is offered to God to satisfy his justice and wrath against sin. The price paid was Christ's own life. If God is loving God, why not just forgive everybody? But then what about justice? See, all life-changing love is substitutionary sacrifice. Take a look at parenting. Children are dependent and needy and will not just grow out of it. You have to sacrifice your time and freedom. You disrupt your life or they will not grow up and out of it. You have to read to them and read to them or they won't grow intellectually. You have to listen to children and have childlike conversations on their level. Children need five affirmations for every one criticism. Plenty of parents won't disrupt their lives because they have put their life on hold. They won't pour themselves into their children. You make the sacrifice or they suffer. It's them or you. You suffer temporarily in a redemptive way or they suffer horribly in a destructive way. My dad would take me fishing, hunting. He taught me how to change a flat tire, how to work on a car, change oil in my car. He would take me with him when he went somewhere. See, all real life-changing love is substitutionary. If someone harms you, really harms you, and you run them down and talk about them to everyone, you make them pay. If there's any chance that this person will ever come to their senses or see that they were wrong, you will have to forgive them. If you attack them, you're part of the endless cycle of hurt, which is what makes the world a horrible place. You will have to forgive them instead of hurting them back. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, all forgiveness is a form of suffering. Why? Because you're absorbing the debt or the hurt. My daughter Faith and I were playing ball in the house in the hallway. She threw the ball up too high and she broke the hallway light. It came crashing down. I had to replace the bulbs or have a dark hallway. Someone has to absorb the loss or the cost. If you want to stop the hurting, the only chance you've got is to forgive. The only way to slow the spread of evil is to forgive. 
And the only way to forgive is if you absorb the pain, the hurt. All life-changing love is substitutionary. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The prophet Isaiah said it like this. This is from the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. All life-changing love is substitutionary. If you'd like to know more about this ministry, go to uh, youareloved.net. We would be glad to pray with you. Send us your prayer request. And if you'd like more information, you can go to www.youareloved.net. Dash loved dot net.